0: This is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching here at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, or for anyone who's looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses one to 17. It forms the basis of the sermon here at First Free Methodist Church on May 7, 2023. It's the fourth fourth message in our series called Unstrung, about how we find God's truth in the midst of our own disorientation. Let's hear the text from John 21, 1 to 17. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible, beginning at verse 1. After these things, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the sea of, Gal- sea of Tiberias. He then revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, who was called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we are also coming with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was not breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, do you not have any fish to eat, do you? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right hand side of the boat, and you will find the fish. So they cast it, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great quantity of fish that they had caught. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his other outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, only about 200 cubits away, dragging a net full of fish. So when they got to the land, they saw charcoal fire ready made for them, "'and fish placed on it and bread. "'And Jesus said to them, "'Bring some of the fish which you have caught.' "'So Simon went up and hauled the net to land, "'full of large fish, a 153. "'And although there were so many, the net was not torn. "'Jesus said to them, "'Come, have breakfast.' "'Now none of the disciples ventured to inquire of him, "'Who are you?' "'Knowing that it was the Lord.' Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he is raised from the dead. Now when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again, a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He, Jesus, said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because he said this to him the third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, "Tend my sheep." For many in the Christian community, this is a a, a familiar passage of Scripture of of Jesus meeting with his disciples at the Sea of Tiberius, which is actually the Sea of Galilee up in the north, far away from Jerusalem, where the events of Chapter Twenty in John's Gospel had occurred. In the case of this text, it opens in verses one to three talking about how fishermen, well, they go fishing. John 21 is seemingly an addition to the Gospel of John. Now, when it was added or by whom, we don't know. But they're definitely of John's school of thought, John's school of theology, but the the vocabulary, the grammar, everything is slightly different in John chapter 21 than the entire rest of the Gospel. So most scholars seem to think that chapter 21 was added to it at some later point in time because the conclusion at the end of chapter 20 seems clear enough, but yet there are some unresolved issues that may have warranted adding this gospel back onto the story itself. Now, this chapter will deal with some of these unresolved issues. This chapter is going to look backwards toward the restoration of Peter, and it's also going to look forward forward to that which is going to be coming in the future for both John and Peter. But for the purposes of our text today, we're only going to be looking at the episode involving much more directly Peter. Now, it says in the text that there were seven disciples there uh, gathered at this particular time, and Peter announces that he's going out to go fishing. Now, this fishing is usually done at night. And so everybody comes with Peter, and they, they fished all night, and they caught absolutely and nothing. There is a key passageway for us here, and it's this that waiting is an active season. It's hard to draw a conclusion about why these seven are simply back doing their old trade. And in, in some cases, these individuals are all doing the very work that they were doing when Jesus first called them to be disciples. Some had tried, some have tried to draw the conclusion that uh that they had simply given up on the commission of Jesus and had returned to what was familiar to them. But in fact, it appears that they're simply home and waiting. Fishing is what they know, and fishing is what they do. Notice in the text that there's no judgment in there about what they are doing. As a matter of fact, Jesus meets them in the act of fishing and gives them great success success in their act of fishing, as we're going to learn in a little bit. What they are doing, though, is they are no longer gathered in Jerusalem out of fear. That season of their life has come to a close. They've simply returned home. And the thing we need to remember here in this key passageway is this, is that sometimes waiting on God requires us to go about life. God will speak and move in time and in the right time. So we must remember that waiting isn't passive. Waiting isn't doing nothing. Waiting is an active season in which we learn to listen and hold our lives carefully before the Lord, waiting for God to speak. Now, what happens in this story, obviously, is that Jesus himself is out fishing and calling his disciples in a very similar way in which he called them three years earlier to be his followers. Jesus is fishing were fishermen in verses 4 to 8. The text tells us that his day was breaking, and it continues off of John's play of symbols of light and dark in this gospel. John continually uh, contrasts light and dark, day and night. These symbols become very important, and so the day was breaking. In other words, the light is coming. There is a new dawn, and Jesus is on the shore. But it says in the text that they did not recognize him, and we're not quite sure, of course, why this is. It's true in almost all of the post-resurrection encounters with Jesus, with the exception of a couple, that Jesus appears, but people don't recognize him. This is true in Luke 24 in the Walk to Emmaus story. This is true when Mary Magdalene first sees Jesus at the tomb in John chapter 20. So this is not uncommon, whether it's the the distance they were away from him, maybe their vision was blurred, who knows, or just the same reasons as before, that they just are not used to seeing uh, someone resurrected from the dead. Now, Jesus asks them a question when they first see him, and it's negatively framed. He says, children, you do not have any fish to eat, do you? And so there's a sense in which Jesus already knows what the answer to the question is. And so he tells them to cast the net on the other side of their boat, the right side of the boat. Now there's absolutely no rational significance for this. I mean, if they're out fishing in a boat, there's no reason why fish are going to leap into the nets on the right side of the boat versus the left. So this has to do with what Jesus is trying to teach them and trying to help them see. And there's a, a, a meaning to this that John is trying to paint, that with with the the loyalty to Jesus, the willingness to follow Jesus and that which he directs. There's a, a fruitfulness to be found there, even at times if it does sound a bit ridiculous. Well, sure enough, they throw the net on the other side of the boat and they catch well over 100 fish. And they couldn't land the net in the boat. In other words, there was no way to haul a net full of that many fish into the boat itself. So they had to drag the net with the fish ashore. Now, the text tells us that the disciple Jesus loved uh, in this particular passage is is likely John, and John is the one who mentions to Peter that it's Jesus. John is the one who identifies him. John, the author of this gospel and the uh, leader of the community that perhaps added this additional chapter to the end of the gospel. He says, it is the Lord. So Simon When he hears this from John, responds as he usually responds. He responds with unbridled enthusiasm. He throws himself at it. He puts his clothes back on and he jumps in the water. Now, the cultural requirements of this day is that uh, for him at the time he was fishing, he would be doing so in a loincloth. He would be wearing nothing basically but his underwear while he's out fishing but when you were to greet people, you would never greet anyone clothed like that in the time of Jesus. You would greet those people fully clothed. So it sounds a bit ridiculous, but if he's actually following cultural convention, he puts his clothes back on in the boat and then he jumps into the water so that he can go and meet Jesus. Now, the other six that have been left in the boat with all of these fish, they row ashore in this smaller boat, gr- pulling this huge net full of fish. It says in the text that he's about two hundred stadia There are about two hundred stadia from um, or cubits from the shore. Two hundred cubits is about hundred yards, so certainly far enough to be an earshot. But they do have ways to row to get there. It all of this helps open up another key passageway for us: that Jesus finds us where we are and in what we're doing. Oftentimes, for Christians, we think of the extraordinary moments when we meet God. But what we see time and again in Scripture is not God coming to meet people in extraordinary moments. It does happen from time to time. But more often than not, God comes to people in the ordinary. Uh, God meets Abraham in a certain way in the wilderness in just a very ordinary sort of fashion. God meets Moses while he's tending sheep. Being faithful in our ordinary work is essential for us to be in an abiding relationship with the Lord. Time with God is not exceptional when we're alone. It's actually ordinary. And Jesus comes to them while they're fishing. So we need to think less about an experience of the Lord, and instead we need to cultivate a relationship with God at all times, even in the most mundane and ordinary things we do in our lives. Well, now the stage begins to be set for Peter and for this exchange that he and Jesus are going to have in a moment. But before we get to that conversation, we hear about how Jesus, in verses 9 to 14, has already built a fire for the disciples, and he has fish on hand. So we shouldn't think of this story as being out of order. It's just simply that Jesus has started the fire. And so as the disciples come ashore with their huge haul of fish, Jesus has already begun to prepare them breakfast. He hosts them for breakfast on the shore over a charcoal fire. Now the fire is mentioned here specifically because it's the same kind of fire around which Peter denied Jesus days earlier on that fateful Thursday evening before his crucifixion and death on Friday. So the similarities between these stories are deliberate and significant. Jesus tells them to bring along some of what they have caught, and apparently it's 153 fish. It's a strange exact number for some reason. Uh, in in Hebrew, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet has a numerical equivalent. There are no numbers Uh, in the Hebrew alphabet. In a similar way, there are no numbers in Greek in the New Testament. Uh, Numbers were created uh, quite a bit of time later uh, through an Arabic influence over the ancient world. So there are no numbers. So words or letters represented certain numbers. So if you were to add together the sum of all of the letters in Hebrew, their total is 153. So uh, that may have something to do with the significance of this strange uh, number uh, that's in this text about the fish they caught. And Jesus invites them to breakfast with some of the fish out of the 153. They didn't ask who he was because the text tells us they kind of knew who he was, but they were afraid to ask. So it's the same kind of symbolism they've seen before. Jesus is their host. He takes the bread, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. They've They've seen this before. So the meaning and the purpose of this epilogue of John's gospel, John 21, is becoming just a bit more clear. Jesus is the host. He has met them in the ordinary living of their lives. Perhaps there is a reason that Peter has not yet assumed his work of preaching and leading. And that opens a key passageway to us. Jesus opens the door. To deeper healing and grace. You see, our American culture of a worth ethic inculcates us into thinking there is something that we need to do for God or that God needs us to do something. It's less of something we need to do and more something we actually need to be. Jesus greets them, he hosts the breakfast for them, he engages them. He is setting the stage for Peter and at, toward the end of the chapter for John as well. So we do not need to seek to do things to please God, but rather God comes to us. We simply need to be prepared to be transformed by the engagement with God. Jesus opens the door to deeper healing and grace. We do not. Jesus is the one who opens that door to life transformation. And remembering this passageway is important in our lives, that it is God's sanctifying grace that is at work in each and every one of us, leading us closer and closer to perfection in love. Well, we finally now move toward the end of this story that we've uh, selected for a scripture reading today in verses 15 to 17, and it has to do with this quite well-known conversation that takes place between uh, uh, Peter and Jesus, and it has to do with the reconciliation of Peter. Then verses 15 to 17 of John chapter 21, much has been said and written on this text, and for the sake of this podcast, we're going to try to stay as close to the text as we can. Jesus then turns deliberately to Simon after breakfast, and he asks him, a question and pay careful attention to how the question is phrased do you love me more than these you see it's a it's a comparative statement do you love it's not do you love me it's do you love me more than these well you might remember how peter hurled himself out of the boat in order to get to shore And you might remember that there were moments in which Peter claimed to love Jesus more than anyone else and claimed to go with him all the way to the end of his life. But here we find Peter's brokenness and that Peter did not do that. He didn't fulfill that word. So Peter has at times let his enthusiasm in responding to Jesus be his undoing. Jesus asks him if he still thinks that he loves him the most. In other words, Jesus is saying, "You know, Peter, you once said you loved me more than any of your other friends and disciples, but do you still think that way?" And so Peter responds with, "Well, you know I love you." You see Peter is not quite logging where this conversation is headed. And so there's a chance for him to rightly align himself with his friends, not above them. So the comparative, do you love me more than these? He could have said, I love you as all my brothers do, or something like that. But instead, he, he continues to stay in the frame of loving Jesus more than other people do. Then Jesus then tells them to tend or to shepherd his sheep. So there's that pastoral call placed upon Peter in that moment. And so Jesus then asks again, do you love me? And Peter responds with the same formula, the same exhortation, the same response. Peter is not quite there yet until Jesus asks a third time. And then the text tells us that Peter was hurt because now the connection is beginning to form. Peter knows what this is about. This isn't just about whether he loves Jesus more than the other disciples. This is about Peter's denial of Jesus on the night of his trial and leading to his crucifixion. Take note that the hurt Peter is described, that Peter is described as having is an engagement in his deep shame. We can only imagine how Peter felt having denied Jesus and now being invited into thinking about a reconciliation. Jesus is tapping into his deepest shame and his deepest pain. Now, much has been preached over the years on this text about the different words for love Jesus uses every time he asks them this question, Simon, do you love me? Uh, The first two times Jesus uses a Greek verb, phileo, and the third time Jesus asks them, Jesus uses a Greek verb, At least as John records it, it's agapao, and so people have said that phileo and agapao are different. 400 years before the time of Jesus in the Greek language, that was true. They were different. But at the time of the writing of John's gospel, even during the time of Jesus, agapao and phileo meant exactly the same thing. They were interchangeable words. There was no nuance of difference between them whatsoever. So now Peter understands what Jesus is really asking him. And then finally Peter responds with a bit of a different answer. He says, you know I love you. No comparison. There is no bragging. Peter is restored and healed. This opens the final key passageway for us, and it's this, that God's healing power touches our deepest shame and pain. You know, often we as human beings seek to avoid pain and we try to also help others avoid it as well. And this is well-intended, but it is wrongly aimed. God touches the deepest pain in our lives to release us for the redemptive work that we're called to do. Being with God comes before doing anything with or for. God. God seeks to be with us. And when our shame and our pain become a barrier to that, God seeks to heal it and bring us full redemption as he does with Peter. So only after this affirmation of love is Peter now ready to shepherd the flock. Not before, but only after he's dealing with his deepest shame and pain. So we could ask ourselves the question, Where is God seeking our healing? Will we let God into that space? And if we're not, we're of little use in God's mission. But if we will allow God's grace to redeem us, to sanctify us, to fully bring to us a sense of holiness by being whole, there's no limit to what God might be able to do in and through us. If you have comments and reflections, I'd love to hear from you. Please visit my website, RevCraig.com. Click on News in the upper right-hand corner, and then you'll see a drop-down menu with the word Podcast. Click on that, and then click on the specific episode for this week and leave a comment. I'd also invite you to visit our church's website, FFMC.org, or download our app from the App Store. FFMC, either from the Google or Apple App Store, so you can follow what's happening in our church learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time.